A dad was given an assignment by his wife to go to the store and pick up a few items, a few grocery store items. And the dad, being a wise father, delegated that duty to his son. It did two things. It gave his son the opportunity to exercise some responsibility, and it gave the dad the opportunity to avoid unneeded work. Trip to the store. So he got the list from his wife, and he, seven items, item one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, put seven items on the list in order, bread, eggs, orange juice, milk, sugar, butter, jelly. Son goes to the store and returns successfully, amen, that's good. But he has more bags than the dad thought he would have for the number of items on the list. So he said, what did you do? You have many more bags than I anticipated you might have. He said, well, I got exactly what you told me. One loaf of bread, two dozen eggs, three jugs of orange juice, four gallons of milk, five bags of sugar. Not sure what's going on with that, Dad, but, you know, you're the dad. Six things of butter. You never have too much butter, amen? And seven jars of jelly. The son says, Dad, I did what you told me to do. And this is how we sometimes think about obedience. And this is where the tension comes up from in, when it comes to obedience. We have imperfect children and imperfect parents working their way through lives, and it creates some tension. The dad says, what are you doing? The son says, what you told me to do. And the Bible calls us here, children, obey your parents. But we need to understand more is going on in this passage than merely the Bible providing us a rule. So we need to think a little bit bigger about what's going on in this passage. This passage is coming out of a, a long passage in Ephesians where the author uh, is telling us we ought to put on our new self, that is Christ, in Ephesians chapter 4. Put on your new selves, that is Christ. And one of the ways we express that new self, we ex express Christ's likeness to one another is in Ephesians 5.21, he says, submit to one another, it should say Ephesians 5.20, submit to one another out of a reverence for Christ. And then Paul then, in the book of Ephesians, applies this idea of submitting to one another to several areas of life. And now in Ephesians chapter 6, he's going to say, because you are in Christ, because Christ is now your identity, I'm going to show you what it means to submit to one another in the home, to children and parents, children and fathers specifically. So, the title of the message today is a little bit broader than Children Obey Your Parents. Here's the title of the message today. Make room for Jesus at home. Make room for Jesus at home. Verses 1 through 3 of Ephesians 6. Let's think about this. Children, make room for Jesus at home. Why? Jesus was a child once too. Jesus was a child once too. If we look back in Luke, uh, chapter 2, Jesus' parents, Joseph and Mary, had gone to Jerusalem uh, several days, maybe a five-day journey from their hometown of Nazareth, Nazareth, and they would celebrate Passover, a great party there. And after Passover was over, they were returning home, and they would travel in these large groups with family and friends, because that way they could share food, and it was a long trip. They needed one another for safety. And as you might expect... When Jesus wasn't with them, they just presumed he was with aunt and uncle or whoever might be. A day goes by and they can't find him and they realize he's not there. 
So Joseph and Mary now go back to Jerusalem and look for Jesus. Do you know how many days they had to look for Jesus in Jerusalem? Three days. If you ever lost a kid in a grocery store, you can't imagine. I mean, after 10 minutes, you're in panic mode, aren't you? Moms are in a panic mode because they can't find their kid. Dads are in a panic mode because at some point they're going to have to tell mom. <laughs> just, it's the same feeling, just different sources, just different causes. They find Jesus in the temple, and Jesus is a little bit matter of fact. Why didn't you look here first? But this is what's important. In Luke chapter 2, verse 51, after they found him, and after he explained what he was doing, he wasn't being disobedient, he was following the Lord. It says this, they went down together back home to Nazareth, and Jesus was submissive to them or obedient to his parents. So Jesus, the perfect son, was willing to submit in obedience to his imperfect parents. Make room for Jesus at home. Children, Jesus was a child once too, and he understood the importance here of glorifying God through submitting and being obedient uh, to his parents. The way we express our uh, devotion and love for Christ and our devotion and love for God is one of the ways is submitting to parents in obedience. What does obedience mean? The willingness to do what I would not normally want to do. The willingness to do what I might not choose to do if I had my own choice. Or the willingness to refrain from doing that which I want to do. And obedience in the Bible is not just merely obedience out of fear. Obedience is expressed as love for God in our parents because we want to submit to what God is doing in our home. A, a recognition of God's love and a recognition of God's authority in our lives by showing uh, obedience. Sometimes your parents don't want you to have what you want. Has that ever happened to anybody? And the grown-ups are feeling this way too. You still remember when your dad wouldn't buy you that toy train. So you stole it. Some of us did. And obedience is just simply saying, you know what? I'm going to submit out of love for God to my parents, knowing I'm not going to get what I want, trusting that God will give me what I need and want over time. This is what the Bible says in Matthew chapter 6. Don't be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or what you will wear. Don't worry about the things that you want or need. Why? Because God knows exactly what you want and what you need. Think of the most important thing in your life you want so bad right now you give anything for it. Think of it. You know, everybody has at least one thing. Some of you have a list and you carry it with you. You know, God knows all about that. And he's not like, oh, that's so irritating. God knows all about what we need, what causes anxiety in our life. He also knows all about the desires of our heart. God is not oblivious to it, and he is mindful of it. And the Bible says here that in order to see him move, move in ways of faithfulness in those things, he says instead of pursuing those things, he says pursue the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So that's why in Ephesians it says, honor your father and mother in the Lord and you will live long in the land. He's saying, instead of seeking your own things, seek God's things, which in the home is children obeying their parents, and trust that God might provide those things I need and I want. Certainly may not do it at the time I would like, because when do we want the things we want? Just now. 
When does God provide the things we want? Well, a verse comes to mind. With God, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. Yeah. He provides it in his time. Occasionally, I know it's hard to imagine, occasionally we desire things that probably aren't the best for us. And God, by his grace, will refrain from granting those. Children, we make room for Jesus in our home by living obedient lives to him, trusting that he will give us the things we actually want and need. We all want big things, and we all want big things for God, but God reduces down faithfulness to him in the home in a very simple way. Honor our parents. Think about how we talk to our parents, the tone we might use. Obey our parents, even though they ask us to do things we don't want to do. You notice our parents never ask us to do things we want to do. Why? They don't need to. You're doing those things automatically. One of the great things about young people in today's culture, which is, I think, fantastic, is we're thinking about big things in terms of how we might change the world. Kids today are concerned about digging wells in countries that have no water, providing educational supplies in areas where they have no pencils and paper, providing health care in those places where health care is scarce. Those are all good things. But one of the most significant things we can do to recognize God is God and we are not is a very simple thing. Honor our father and mother. And in a very real way, that will also affect change in our world. You can, in fact, glorify the God of the universe by cleaning your room. Worshiping the Lord through obedience by doing chores. Recognizing that God loves you and you love him by working to get along with your siblings. You say, no, these things only come out with prayer and fasting. (laughs) I'm just the preacher telling you what it says. Make room for Jesus in the home. Children, obey your parents. Now, making room for Jesus in the home goes for parents too. Look what it says in Ephesians Uh, Chapter 6, verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Fathers, Jesus was a child once too. Now in Rome, things were very different than they are now. Fatherhood in Rome had absolute, complete, and total authority over your children. A Roman father had more authority over his sons than he did over his servants. The authority of a father in Rome never went away. So if you were an adult in Rome and your boss told you to do one thing and your dad told you to do a different thing, you did what your dad said. That authority went away when he died, which may explain why so many sons murdered their fathers in Rome. Their authority was absolute, their authority was tyrannical, and their authority in many ways was abusive. So what we discover here in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, is the Bible running sideways to the culture of the time. The Bible's saying a startling thing to fathers living in the Roman Empire. Fathers, don't provoke your sons and your daughters to anger, but instead, train them, teach them. Parents, how do we make room for Christ in our home? Is remember that Jesus was a child once too. What do I mean by that? Let me explain. Think about it. Everybody wants perfect children, don't they? Until you have one. Think of Jesus and Joseph and the relationship it must have been like to raise the perfect child, especially in Joseph's case. He's engaged to marry uh, Mary. They're not married yet, and 
she becomes pregnant. He's bothered by this. And so he's going to divorce her. And an angel appears to him in a dream and said, don't worry about it. She's been faithful to you. The baby is in her as a work of the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, take Mary to be your wife and name the baby Jesus. What did the angel just tell Joseph to do? Joseph, adopt this baby as your own. You will name the child. You will be the adoptive father of this child. Joseph is not merely a placeholder because God's in heaven. Joseph is intended to adopt Jesus as his own and raise him as his own. As as Joseph and Mary learn more about Christ and they discover all the prophecies about him and knowing he's the Messiah, the Bible tells us that, that they marveled at him. But look what the Bible says in Luke chapter 2 at the end of verse 40. Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. That's an interesting verse, isn't it? How did Jesus increase in wisdom and strength? Why did Jesus get strong? Because Joseph made him stack the wood. How did Jesus grow in wisdom? Because Joseph saw to it that he learned uh, his Hebrew and he went to synagogue. He said, well, why didn't he read the Bible to him in his home? Joseph wouldn't have been able to afford a copy of the scripture. The only way that Jesus would have had the opportunity to learn the scripture is to be taken. And his father would have taken him. Joseph did what was necessary to see his son, the perfect son, grow, to show him what does it mean to be a carpenter, what does it mean to be a father, what does it mean to be a husband. And he did this as an imperfect man. Can you imagine? Don't you sometimes worry when you're doing something bad that Jesus might see it? He does. Do you think Joseph ever hit his finger with a hammer? I don't know what you guys do when you do that. I don't sing a praise song. (laughs) Occasionally a word will come out that my mother might not prefer I say. Joseph had... Sorry about that. Oh, I mean, really sorry. I mean, mean, wouldn't that drive you crazy? Jesus, don't worry about it. I got it. (laughs) Took Took you a minute, didn't it? Okay, try and keep up, guys. Jesus was a child once too, we, we, and, and he needed uh, the work of Joseph to parent him to grow in stature and strength and wisdom. He learned that from his father. And what the Bible is calling us to as parents is instead of uh, provoking our children through authoritarian and tyrannical means to conform to a particular behavior, the Bible is calling us in Ephesians chapter 6, to encourage and train them much the way we see in the life of Christ. He said, instead of uh, crushing our children's spirit, instead to to seek to bring them up and train them to know the Lord and to walk with him. Now, some of us think about this and we're a little bit intimidated. We think, well, I don't know the Bible and I'm not a teacher. What am I going to do, sit down with my kid and tell them about what it means to trust Christ? Well, you might. But I tell you what, a... your son or daughter can come to church and they can listen to a great lesson from their fantastic teacher 
to tell them what the Bible says about trusting the Lord, and then they're going to go home, and then they're going to see what it looks like to trust the Lord. See, when it, what it means to train up our children doesn't mean we necessarily have to sit down at the table and do a lesson. What it does mean is when life intervenes on us, is we allow them to be a part of what it means to walk with the Lord in the midst of the good and the bad. When good things happen, the Lord, kids, let's sit down and thank the Lord for the blessing he has poured out on us. When bad things happen, kids, we need to sit down and seek the Lord because we don't have the answers to this. But we know he'll come through. This is simply training and teaching our kids as we would imagine Joseph would have done. He didn't sit down and go through a book on carpentry. He took them out in the shop. It's teaching our kids in our going what it means to submit to the Lord, even confess our sin when needed. I should say this, a lot of us as parents are trying to live up to someone or trying to impress someone around us. It might be our parents, it might be the people around us. We might be trying to prove to ourselves that we can do it better than anybody else. The Bible calls us here, instead of parenting out of our strength, to instead parent out of our weakness. Instead of seeking to conform people by force, to instead say, you know what, I'm going to trust the Lord even with my children. Instead of trying to make up for wrongs that have been done to me in my past by forcing my children to be a particular way, instead, seeking trust the Lord through prayer and coming alongside our children and showing them what it means to walk with the Lord even in a broken world. Make room for Jesus in the home. Children, Jesus was once a kid too. Parents, Jesus was once a child too. And we discover what it means to be broken and trust in him in the midst of it. Now, one last thing before we get ready to uh, finish with some singing is you may say, well, how in the world are we supposed to do that? Some of us, if you've been parents for more than five minutes, uh, you say, I have no idea how to, uh, how to do what the Bible is calling me to do here. And some of you as children are saying, obey my children, that would be great. Or obey my parents, that would be great. You're going to have to show me how because I have no idea how to do that. Because have you met my parents? They have unbelievable expectations. I mean, can you imagine at the conclusion of a meal, having to take a dish to a sink and drop it in. <laughs> kids, you should have had kids on today. <laughs> and some of us as parents blow our stack, present company included, and say, well, you will not believe my kid. I mean, how hard is it to carry a plate to a sink? Drop it in. I mean, the standards aren't real high. At this point, I'll take any sink in the house. <laughs> it doesn't even have to be the, the kitchen sink. may have to confess some sin here today. How are we supposed to do this? In the brokenness of parenting, in the brokenness of growing up, how are we supposed to obey and how are we supposed to uh, train and teach instead of crushing spirit? Let's look at this. We're going to discover this. The cross is there for us to discover that there are no perfect kids and there are no perfect parents. And that's okay. We're going to start in Deuteronomy 21, verse 18. This verse is very disturbing, and I want you to understand that we're thankful the law has been fulfilled by Christ and it's no longer necessary. If a man has a stubborn and a rebellious son who will not obey, even though they discipline him, he will not listen, 
the parents at that time could take him to the city leaders and say, listen, this is our son. He is stubborn and rebellious. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Likely this was an adult son or near adulthood. The men of the city will stone him to death. Capital punishment for a son in rebelliousness, despite the fact that his parents are trained. Now that we say that's shocking. It should be shocking. It is extraordinarily shocking. In fact, look at this in, in the New Testament, Romans 1, 28. Now stay with me. Don't get discouraged yet. Stay with me. Romans 1, 28. The Bible says this. They, that is sinners, if you wonder who the sinners are, it's you. They did not see fit to acknowledge God, and so God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done, and they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness. Listen to this list. Unbelievable. Evil, covetousness, malice, envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil. That means they've run out of stuff to do. And they have a think tank they put together to come up with new ways to be evil. Finally, at the end of this list, disobedient to parents. Does it feel out of place? It, it does, a little bit. I mean, those are some pretty abhorrent things that are going on, but disobedience to parents and foolishness, faithlessness, heartlessness, ruthlessness. And what God is saying here is these are the, the sins by which we receive the wrath of God. When we're heartless and ruthless and faithless to our children as parents, and then when our children are disobedient to us, the Bible says the wrath of God is poured out on us as children and parents alike. And what are we supposed to do? This is exactly what happened over in Matthew chapter 3, beginning in verse 4. Jesus was going to get baptized. Jesus was going down to John the Baptist uh, to be baptized. And this is what John said about his baptism. He says this, I baptize you with water for repentance. So Jesus is going to John the Baptist to be baptized with the baptism of repentance. This is what that baptism is. John's baptism was a baptism for sinners. And so Jesus went down and was baptized by John the Baptist so he might identify with sinners. And this is what Jesus said, let it be so, John, he was telling you, you've got to baptize me because it is fitting for us to fulfill righteousness. And so John baptized Jesus with the baptism of sinners, and Jesus comes out of the water soaking wet with the baptism of sinners. Now, when we get baptized, we're, we're baptized in Christ, aren't we? We come out in Christ as an expression of our faith in Christ. And when Jesus comes out of the water with the baptism of sinner, identified with sinners, what does the Father say to him? I can't believe you would associate with those people. He doesn't say that, does he? This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Jesus receives identification with sinners, knowing he's going to go to the cross, and, and the Father looks at Jesus identifying with us and says, I'm well pleased with him. I am well pleased with my son. The father doesn't do what we might do. What are you doing? What were you thinking? It's funny when us as parents ask our sons what they were thinking. You ever see the look on their face? What does it tell you? 
Thinking was not a part of the problem. <laughs> Something was happening, but I wasn't thinking. The Father doesn't do that with Jesus. As a way of expressing not only his pleasure in Christ for submitting himself to the will of the Father, but also that we might see the Father's purpose for sinners. He is not offended for him to identify with us as sinners. The Father and the Son, and the Father showing love and devotion to his Son. Now let's look at the Son and his devotion to the Father in Luke chapter 22. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. And this is what Jesus says to the Father. The night before the cross, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and sweat like great drops of blood began falling to the ground. Obedience to the Father, even though he didn't want to suffer the agony of the cross and the wrath of God upon him. He didn't want to suffer the agony of God forsaking him. He didn't want to suffer the agony of the flogging and the crucifixion. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus shows us what obedience looks like to the face of his, to his father in the face of agony. Despite the fact that he didn't want to experience that agony, he went in obedience. The father looking at his son, identifying with sinners and saying, you are my son whom I'm pleased with. And the son looking at the father who is going to put on him the wrath of God and the son saying, I will obey. I will listen. And in Matthew 27, we hear those words of Christ from the cross, and he says this, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We learn in 1 Peter that Jesus bore our sins on the tree that he might receive the wrath of God on our behalf. Why am I telling you all this? The perfect son who never rebelled and only obeyed took the, the rebel's punishment for us. The perfect son who never rebelled and only obeyed took on himself the rebel's punishment that we read about in Deuteronomy. And the, and the perfect father who had higher expectation than any parent who has ever existed looked at Christ and looks at us in Jesus and says, my son, my daughter, my beloved, I'm well pleased. We say, well, that doesn't make any sense. You know anything that I've done? Yes, we know how bad it was. We know what the cross looks like. But the father doesn't have to do like we do. He doesn't have to crush us with his expectations because he crushed his son with his expectations. And so he comes to us and he looks at us and he says, oh, my son, my daughter, I am well pleased. Why should I obey? That's a fair question. Why should I obey? Here's my answer. You may not like it, but here it is. I should obey because I have Jesus and he's better than getting my own way. I should obey because I have Christ what else could I possibly want? As parents, we say, well, 
Why should I have patience with my children? Have you met them? I have Jesus. He is better than me having to be strong. I can parent out of weakness and humility and service. Make room for Jesus in our homes. Children, Jesus was a child once too. The perfect son obeyed his imperfect parents. Fathers, Jesus was a child once too. The imperfect father took time to parent his perfect son out of humility and weakness. And the cross helps us discover there's no perfect kids, there's no perfect parents, but in Christ we have a better way.